in an attempt to illustrate the death of Jesus and the meaning of the cross, let me tell you briefly about another true story about a highly decorated veteran named Joe. Earned two Purple Hearts, survived a suicide bombing, also survived a sink, being trapped in a sinking truck. His, they were traveling down a road, the road collapsed, and the truck went into a creek, and he was pinned down, and the water was rising up, covering his legs and his torso, and all the way up to his neck, and then eventually up to his chin, till it, where it stopped, and he was the only one to survive that accident of his group. He suffers from PTSD as a result of being in confined small spaces. Unfortunately, a few years ago, Joe was arrested for drinking and driving. And as part of his probation, the deal was that he wasn't supposed to drink anything. Well, he lied on a urine test and ended up back in front of the judge. And the only course of action the judge could really take was to put him in jail for the night. But being in such a confined space was Joe's greatest fear. And the judge knew this. And the judge did something completely unexpected. Let me pause the story there. I want to get back to it at the end. Easter Sunday is coming, and that will be a celebration day. That will be an exciting day. But today, Good Friday, is not, it's not a positive, it's, it's not a bad day. But this is a day of sorrow. This is a day of lament where we're trying to imagine and envision what it was like for the disciples who weren't quite sure what was going to happen. In hindsight, we have the benefit of seeing what happened, but for them, they would have just been in absolute terror and loss, fear. It's Good Friday is the day that we remember that Jesus Christ, the most consequential figure of all history, the Son of God, who died for our sins, that he was unjustly crucified, brutally murdered on this day. The passages, the passage from Isaiah that Amanda so wonderfully read for us, we're told that Jesus' appearance was, dis, he was disfigured beyond what you could imagine anyone else being disfigured. We're told that he was familiar with pain, that he was rejected that he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and that it was actually God's will that he would be crushed. And that he would bear, we're also told in Isaiah, that he would bear the sins of many. In the passage from the Psalms that Cindy read to us, we're told that he was scorned, that he was despised, that he was mocked by many insults, hurled at him one after another. In the, the gospel passage that N. Arbong read to us as well, we're told that he was flogged, a crown of thorns placed on his head, that he was slapped, that he was vilified, falsely accused, unjustly condemned, had a phony trial, was forced to carry his cross, and then ultimately nailed to that cross. And then once he died, a spear was thrust into his side, to check that he was actually dead. Right before Jesus died, he said these famous words. He said, it 
is finished. It is finished. Jesus wants me to know this, and he wants you to know, he wants everyone to know this, he wants the world to know this, that the, the primary thing that he came to do, and he came to do several things, and he achieved all of them, but the main thing that he came to do, he finished it, it is done, it's completed. And that main mission was to become a sacrifice for sinners, to become the sacrifice for the weight of human sin, for all those that would believe. And he says, it is finished. That means mission accomplished. He has successfully become the substitute, the sacrifice for our sin. Jesus was not only physically tormented and emotionally in torment and socially tormented as well, scorned and rejected by people, but it's much more than that. Even though Jesus, you know, we understand Jesus is one with God. God is a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. We know that there's no separation. There's unique persons, but they're one. Even with that, mysteriously, Jesus was abandoned on the cross. There was, what that means is it means there was no divine assist where God is a God of salvation, a God of redemption, a God of grace and intervention. For Jesus, there was no salvation on the cross. Only punishment. Only despair. We may ask why. Why did it have to be this particular way? Why does there have to be a sacrifice for sin? We always know there's always consequences for sin. If, if somebody betrays you or somebody cheats in a relationship, hopefully those things can be forgiven. But no matter if they can or not, there's always a price. Somebody, pay, somebody pays a price. That's a very obvious example, but it's, it's true that there's, there's this, this consequence of sin that we live with. You know, all of our cultural stories are kind of like ring true with this, this, this sentiment of needing a sacrifice for sin or this sentiment of there being a consequence for our sins, the weight of sin. A few examples. If you think about Frankenstein's monster, innocent, an outcast, actually murdered, killed for the sins of a mad scientist, of his creator. Think about Homer's Odyssey. The Odysseus, the, the suffering hero, experienced great humiliation. It says was despised and rejected. In the, in a, Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, Atticus, one of the central characters, is kind of a Christ figure of types. He had to sacrifice his reputation, risk violence against himself and against even his family in order to rescue and save an innocent man. Think about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Iron Man had to unsnap the blip and at great personal cost and sacrifice. Any story with any weight to it, any story that makes any sense to us, we understand it's infused with this idea of either, either a hero or an innocent one paying the price for the salvation of others. There's something about that story that when you hear it in the deepest part of your spirit, you know this is, this is the ultimate truth. There's something that doesn't transcend beyond this story. This is the ultimate story. We all 
know it. But we still may struggle. We still may say, but why a sacrifice? Why does it have to be this way? Think about it like this. You know there's something good in you. If you see an injustice in the world and you will not stand for it. You see an injustice in the world and you know it's wrong and you won't stand for it. You know there's something good in you. Now anything good that we detect in ourselves is always a reflection of the goodness of the image of God that God's put in us. But we know when you see it in other people, they won't stand for something wrong. It's an evil thing to say, to see something wrong and say, I don't care, I'm not willing to stand against it. What that's telling us is telling us that we have a standard for that which we know is sinful and destructive and is wrong and must be made right. To believe in evil, we look at evil and we say it's a terrible, destructive thing and you can then imagine ways to make it worse and you can imagine the depths of evil and you see examples in history and in modern day life of just the depths and the depths of evil and how how can it get more evil? How can people invent more evil? How can they become worse than what they already are? And you see the depths and depths and depths of it. But if you're going to believe in evil, you have to believe in good. And you have to see the opposite thing is true, the, the heights of goodness. You say, well, if you can imagine something good, well, you can add to that, and there's something greater than that. And there's, or you can also add more good to that, and there's something greater than what's good. And the greatest imagination of righteousness and holiness that we could ever possibly imagine is still infinitely short for how holy and how righteous and how good the creator of the universe is. The only reason we don't understand how severe sin is and how much it must be dealt with, how there must be justice against what is evil, is because we can't imagine how righteous and how holy and how good God is. If we got a glimpse of it, we would say, of course there must be justice, and this is the gospel message. This is the message to us of Good Friday is that God found a way. He found a way to satisfy his justice and his righteousness, his holiness and his grace. To satisfy that justice, but also to express his love towards us and the forgiveness of our sins. The sacrifice of Jesus does raise the question, is atonement for my sin and is atonement for your sin, can it be taken on by somebody else? Or are we only responsible for our own wrongdoings? And the answer from Jesus is, it's finished. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Sin can be completely taken away from us and put on Jesus. He bore the sins of many. For those who believe, our sins are wiped clean. What a victory. That's why it's Good Friday. It's a sorrowful thing to think about, but it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Trust. Let's trust in Jesus like never before. Let's confess our sins to each other. Realizing the depth and the, the grossness of our own wrongdoing. Let's confess it to God more and more. Let's throw ourselves on Jesus more and more. Between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, we, it's an opportunity for us to join together as believers in our sorrow, in our sense of loss. Because we, we have lost a lot. In the last year, many people have lost things. Even our church, we've seen, you know, as go many of the large cities in, in, around the world. But we've seen a lot of people move away. And that's been a big loss. That's a sorrowful thing. We can lament that. But also we know that Good Friday is good and that we, we understand that the grass will grow again and that there's that promise coming. Set the band, set the worship team, come back up. We want to respond in worship. Let me tell you what happened with Joe. Judge Olive, uh, Oliveira, as soon as Joe 
was put in this cell, overwhelmed with panic, overwhelmed with anxiety, overwhelmed with being in this confined space. As soon as the doors were closed, almost immediately they were opened again. And the judge came into the cell with homemade meatloaf. And they ate together. And they shared about their lives together. Talked about their families and their past and what they'd been through. The judge stayed the whole night in the cell with him. And Joe said it was like the walls vanished. It was like they, he didn't even feel those, those claustrophobic, that PTSD. Didn't even feel it because of the presence of the judge. Jesus takes on our prison sentence. Again, not as a distant judge, but as a companion. He understands our pain. Maybe he's even got meatloaf for some of us. Good things for us. Good Friday is us trying to understand Jesus' pain. The pain that purchased our freedom.